It's the first of our specials today, Chris, and um, I, I don't know whether you totally believe in the you-are-what-you-eat thing, but um, although I know you're being careful because, of course, today's subject matter is... Delicate. is a delicate one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So before I press the button to start the show, mm. I, I thought I'd, I'd inquire a little bit about why you kind of sit on the fence with it, whilst also being... Sure. Respectful yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't and I'm very cautious to not stand upright and say what the couple that you've interviewed in this podcast have done isn't yeah. or hasn't helped them or isn't, you know. Sure, and I get that. Of benefit to what's that. going on for them. I get that. In terms of my things need to be evidenced, don't they? Yeah. And uh, I mean, anecdotal experiences and, and evidence exist, clearly, hmm. but it's very difficult to base models on individual uh, examples, and that's where it can be a little bit difficult yeah. to sort of commit to someone's belief system. So you're, when still, you're still not entirely convinced, are you? No. No. No, no I, I mean, I get that. And, and, and today's a, a really interesting one for, for anybody that, you know, this subject of you are what you eat. Uh, and 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 today we're talking about cancer. Uh, it's our first of our specials. Talking to two people that are talking about cancer and their battle with it. Sorry, you wanted it before. I'm, I'm getting so close to pressing. Yeah, this not here. And, and, and <laughs> my I'm hand here. was almost yeah, there. Yeah, just to, just I guess to caveat my point a little, yeah. so I don't just make out that I'm on the fence. But to what? Yeah, it's we know what you are. Let's say if you if you're eating bad food right now, and I uh, and there's nothing wrong with you, it would be fair to say if you continue doing that you may end up in a bad position. So eating good food all the time is not a guarantee, but it's going to help. You'd like to think it's going to help swerve health conditions along the way if you don't eat badly all the time. Of course. I think the problem lies in people refuting that good eating is for good health when things have already then turned for the worst. Mm. And at that point, everyone then starts really cranking up the volume of effort on changing their food for the better. Mm. And then it doesn't work often. A st- the strong majority of the time, it doesn't work because it's all too late. And at that point, then you can say, well, uh, you- food has no reference. You know, here, I-, I changed my diet, like nothing got better. And it's like, well, y- you're already free falling. Uh, you know, you've-, you've gone over the precipice at that point. Okay, well, and that's that's kind of where I sit with it. It's it's you're taking you're taking one perspective and and method and statement and yeah. applying it at a time frame that's not fair for it. And, that, and often, and I don't mean these people that that will be part of the podcast today. I don't mean them specifically because I don't know them and I don't know what they've done exactly. I you know we've talked and I uh, and I think it's great that he's in a better place than he was. Mm, but mm. Th- there's a lot there's a lot more to recovery than just food. And there's a lot more to, to ending up in bad health than just food. Otherwise, you can become so – you can blame yourself too much as well there. But that's where I'm on the fence because it, it is such a huge yeah, entity yeah, yeah. and a topic. No, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm just cautious to commit to any – you know, um, there is no single magic thing. And, you know, criminalising or or celebrating food too much either way can, I guess, give it too much throw. It oh, is, it's a whole I, thing. I get that. Lifestyle. Get that. Yeah, yeah. First special today. God, did you know that's the longest preamble we've ever done? <laughs> yes, <laughs> over three minutes. Apologies. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. And it, it's an important one today. Can you use diet and nutrition to kick cancer into touch? Our guests today seem to think you can, and so far they have. I'm pressing the button. Let's we'll do, do some questions, do and then we'll have that special. This is Fit As with Neil James and Chris Griffiths. 
so it's the first of our specials, which will come to shortly. Um, it, 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 for, for many people, what we're talking about today, or, or the special that I recorded, what, what the subject matter is, is, is something that they can relate to because of people in their own family. So hopefully we will do that a lot of justice. We're going to start with questions, though. Thank you. Studio at fitas.uk, as always, is the email address to, uh, to write to. Let's kick straight off with Kevin Rose. Chris, I find it really hard to get to the gym because of the hours I work. I can almost see your eyes rising as I say this. <laughs> um, I'm up early every day for a training to work and home late every night, sometimes as much as 10 p.m. I could do body weight training and have... Um, and I've heard that this could be as effective. Does he mean by body weight training? I think he means just um, using your own body weight to train I guess so. rather than machine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this can be as effective as weights and machines. Not that I understand why he would necessarily have any more time to do, do that during the – unless people don't mind him doing that in the office. I don't know. I'd imagine it's from home, Yeah, right? Maybe, maybe that's what he before means. Before bed or Well, I mean, he's getting up at, what, 5 or 6 in the morning, going to work, and he's coming home at 10 p.m. doesn't feel like going to the gym. Yeah. What does he do? Yeah. So um, is there an answer for a question like this? Well, there is. Yeah, go on. Learn other routes to happiness. (laughs) No, but... He clearly wants to go to the gym. Sure. Okay, look, if you... Because otherwise he wouldn't write to this show. Yeah, certainly. The the two things that you've got within your control are always the same. Your food and your workout. And if you can't work out, you're going to have to get some level of control over your food, and you're going to have to go that route. It's not as fun. There's uh, much more avenue for it ending because you're not applying it in context to something that you like doing like working out and various things but all of those don't remove the fact no. that you've only got food and workout yeah. you know I, I talk to people a lot about this exact thing people say it all the time well that's why when i, I said your, your eyes are rising because i'm <laughs> sure you must yeah. i haven't got time chris i'm so busy mm-hmm. but they're telling me that, so think of this why tell me a because you, it's some sort of drop-in counselling session and I'm not a counsellor, so don't tell me for that reason. Or B, because you want me to find a magic cure to it, which I can't. And it's only that that I, I don't... It don't frustrate people. People have got... People want help, right? They just want an outcome, so I get that. So it's not that I'm, I'm, you know, void of time to offer solutions, but people need to be open to the real outcomes, which is you've got to find time. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if it if you think it's ludicrous for me to say... Join a twenty-four hour gym and go at ten at night and because still get are, up. There are options. There are absolutely. And if you were to say to me, "Well, I could never survive in my working day and on such little sleep," then I would have to say, "Then find something else." Because I can't. What? What can I say? You can do press ups, body weight squats, chin up bar at home. You can run. There's a lot of ways to just sort of take body fat off and challenge your body into a into a deficit. But if you're looking for a gym body, then I would say you're going to find it harder without uh, going to a gym and or converting your garage and building one (laughs) but all all i'm trying to do and all this ends up being every time is with everybody is trying to find some way of where they can just end up doing what other people that they look like are already doing it isn't oh by the way have you heard of this new thing that completely replaces the gym there isn't ever going to be that option so i'd love to offer uh, more to him but i mean the dude's going to have to get some serious caffeine intake in the day and do it at 10 on the way home and then somehow sleep through his 15 coffees i don't know well, good luck with that one yeah, then, Kevin. good luck studio at fitas.uk okay duncan leeside chris how much effort is effort 
It's hard sometimes to know that the, the effort I'm putting into a workout is enough because I train alone. What am I looking for? What should I be feeling? That's quite a good question. That is actually. quite good. Yeah. Um, and less the latter part, which was what should I feel, mm. and more uh, what should I be doing. So what... What, it, what was it? What is intensity? Or so how, is, yeah, I guess so. How much effort is effort? Uh, effort well, that was yeah, right. He's asking yeah. for how do you know that you've hit the, the okay. intensity that you need to hit to get some results? Well, when you're training alone and you think, oh, that's t- I've done enough. Whoa, finished now. And, and now I know when I train with you that when I think I've had enough, I haven't had enough. <laughs> sure. I, I think for coaches, sometimes that's on that's done on the premise that the person may only be getting the two with you a week and that you can't afford for them to be able okay. to uh <laughs> to miss out on those critical two hours at the yeah, minimum but yeah. um he needs to start measuring and tracking his workouts to see what he's doing and measure progression because you can go for a long time feeling like you're working hard because it's relatively heavy to you but you haven't sort of pushed through that membrane of effort into a weight that would really change you for whatever reason um but because it still feels hard you can kind of just end up drifting off to doing it for a long time and if you're looking back over a logbook where you think i've been doing this same weight now for 16 months then you can start to sort of pick holes in it a bit easier so maybe look less at what you feel and just analyze it and look at what the outcome changes are because that's ultimately what you're looking for i'm assuming if you're working out mm-hmm. you want to see some level of change of you do. and so it ultimately does it is the most important thing how we feel in a session or, the, or what we see the weeks after yeah. that's what so you should feel like you've worked out hard that's that's very open to interpretation i know as much as his question was to start with yeah but that's almost as uh, how long should you rest between each i mean there's there the, the how yeah. long a piece of string questions precisely yeah. i could probably answer the string easier <laughs> if you if you if you're measuring your workouts it just again means that you've got a more you more likely got uh, a plan of working outs across the week and it's those two things in combination. Good question, Duncan. Remember, as you're sending these questions in, do tell us where you're from, where your training is a good thing, um, and what your intention, what you, what you, what you want the outcome to be as well. Yeah, think, without outcomes, it's actually it's a bit difficult. difficult. To answer yeah, some of because these, some of these questions, it's just so open to interpretation. And and I always just go back and start at the beginning, which is let's set up a template because then we can start to notice change within it and then we can change the shape of the template as in line with the, the changes to see and without yeah. knowing this person's changes i couldn't then suggest how that plan and template should look so but, rem- so yeah. remember that as you're writing in mm. studio at fithouse.uk well as we said at the start of the show it's a special this week imagine this you've just been told in an office by an oncologist that you have a rare kind of brain tumor stage or grade three Operable but serious, of course, with the possibility of uh, of it spreading or having spread. When you go through with the op, it's successful, and it's the day after. Onto the ward comes the food from the kitchens, a mix of, of stodd, sugary and refined foods, easy to prep stuff. If you are what you eat, well, this next story and this first special is testament to that. Some people with Ian Rigglesworth's diagnosis are given less than a year, maybe two years. If you get to that, well, they say maybe you'll make five. Well, it's seven years later, heading toward eight. 
and Ian is still able to recount his tale. He and his wife Debbie Ann, a professional nutritionist, believe that's in no small way down to a radical, drastic and complete change in his diet and relationship with food. Here's Ian's story and how they took control back in their lives. So it first started uh, and I got, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and have uh, like pins and needles in my head. Mm -hmm. Never thought any more of it. But then I uh, started to get like little seizures. Um, and the first one was on the train coming home from work, uh, just as I was getting off at Four Oaks, and uh, nobody helped me on the on the train. It was just like, yeah, get, get off it for yourself. So nobody came to your assistance at all. No, no, I just oh. tried to get off. So that's how the, that's how we decided to go to the doctors, and the doctor just sent me a referral to the uh, for the the specialist. For anybody that's not had a seizure. Sounds a, uh, such a trite question, but what is a seizure? What does it feel like? What are you going through? I, I mean, all seizures are different. Myself, what I tend to do, I get like a sharp sensation down my leg. So it's not a blackout? Oh, no, no, not a blackout. I've never lost uh, consciousness. The first one was when you were in bed. It was the middle of the night and you woke me up and then um, you'd lost control of your right hand side and we didn't know what it was i was going to call an ambulance it lasted for less than a minute and you said no it's fine miss miss being the creams we don't normally you don't normally have cream on your coffee we just assumed it was dodgy cream which we did actually complain to them about (laughs) and um the second one was when we were in um cornwall in the july and we were surfing and it was raining and there was no one else on the beach apart from us two and the surfer instructor um, and you had a, a seizure in the water but two people came from nowhere because the surfer guy was helping me sur- surfing and two people came from nowhere realised he was in trouble grabbed his arms and took him out of the water and sat him on the shoreline and then disappeared then the third one was when you had it on the train and nobody stopped and you had quite a few on the train after that and then I was away and I said I would come back and you promised you'd go to the doctors so that I didn't come back. So we went to see the specialist, he did all this standard text and uh, I was getting quite a few headaches at the time as well. So Take me through the day that you actually found out what it was. Can you remember that day? Yeah, yeah, quite quite clearly. Um, we went to um, the specialist who refer, referred us to the um, neurologist, who's probably one of the best in the country, uh, Dr. Cruikshank. And we went into a little waiting area, loads of other people in there, and we got called in to an office. And there was literally about five or six other people in this office not just the you know the neurologist and they just turned around and said yeah you've got a, a brain tumor um, and we're gonna have to operate on it they were very matter of fact then oh yeah i, I wasn't shocked because i knew something was going on so i kind of half expected it to be fair um but debbie ann you know she she really took it badly to start off with didn't you i just felt faint 
totally faint and all I wanted to do it sounds crazy because I don't run I've never run in my life all I wanted to do was run and I stood up and there was a sink and I was gripping so hard onto this sink two people stood up because they obviously thought I was going to completely keel over and Ian was just sat there just in complete shock I honestly thought I was going to be sick, but all I wanted to do was run. And then obviously I felt guilty that I'd had this massive overreaction, if you like. Would it be an overreaction for some news like that? Massive overreaction to what was really his news. They wouldn't actually say, you know, if you've got a life expectancy of, you know, years or whatever, or months. Did you ask? Yeah, we did. And they said, you'll you'll be alive for a while yet. That's all he said. So, wow. yeah, you don't know what to take from that. So did anybody at any time say, this is the prognosis, this is how long we we would think? No, nobody could tell us yeah. how, how long. Um, we, we looked on the internet, and I think for my particular brain tumour, which is like one of the rarest, I think it's the second ra- rarest one, um, that's... The life expectancy was like two years as a stage three cancer. Yeah. And if you got to two years and passed that, sometimes it went to five years. More people would like went on to five years. But um, it'll never go away. Yeah. You can't, once it's gone into your brain, that's it. You can't get rid of this particular one. Do you mind explaining to me what it is? It's the second rarest. Yeah. But for me, just the two words brain and tumour yeah. is all I can grasp. Well, I think there are how many... You're probably best to answer this one. There are lots of different types of brain tumour and you can get benign and malignant. So benign is where they're not cancerous, but obviously because it's taking up space within the brain, it still causes trouble. Ian's is cancerous. And stage three, he actually drew a piece of paper to show us that it was stage three. If it was a stage one or two, they wouldn't have done anything about it. Three or four's the worst. But they, Ian's was a stage three, and it's called an oligodendroglioma. You had a 14% chance of survival beyond five years. But the young lad that was in the bed next to you after surgery didn't, didn't make it 12 months. He was 16. The next step in the process was surgery, and it's a day that Ian and his wife Debbie-Anne won't forget easily. No, definitely not. Uh, uh, when we uh, got into hospital, you go in on a Sunday, and you're all uh, operations booked the next day. So we had a, uh, a Russian lady that came round, a doctor, and, and she said, uh, yeah, you need to sign this uh, consent form. Uh, we, we looked at it, and all the possible outcomes in there, like strokes death you know everything that you could think of that's terrible she was but you haven't got any choice have you yeah that was horrendous i just needed to go somewhere and have a really good cry because i didn't want to do it in front of him we'd spent a week from diagnosis to waiting for the surgery taking it in turns to fall apart and i just needed somewhere where I could go but you're in a busy hospital and I found this washing trolley that was full so I hid behind there and just sobbed my heart out this nurse came over and found me and took me off and made me a cup of tea but I just sat there waiting waiting for him just waiting and waiting for him to come back how long was it a couple of hours only a couple of hours but it's been such such a long time when you don't know what's going on the, the first day I, w- I had the operation, 
the next two days I I was in hospital trying to recuperate a bit but then they sent me home after the third day no way yeah third day so because I could walk basically I didn't have any uh, you know uh, physical side effects they just sent me home so then then starts the process and this is where the story gets interesting in in terms of you going home and developing this action plan yes that you had with debbie ann who is a nutritionist yes so your action plan would be somewhat different to other people's exactly how did it differ um there was a lot of things i couldn't eat basically because i'm sure debbie ann will be able to tell you about the you know sugar and things like that which are really bad uh, so she could give you a more detailed you know explanation but uh, there's no chocolate no desserts no pot no <laughs> no anything with sugar in basically and everything has got sugar in mm. even like if you go to the supermarket and you get like a cooked chicken breast or whatever it's got sugar added it's very difficult to find and we were thinking oh we'll eat soups or whatever but every soup just about has got sugar in so yeah i obviously followed debbie ann's recommendation for not having any sugar uh, and then we started take we w- went to see a few supplement companies and got information on uh, what would be the best supplements to take at the time how many years ago was the operation uh, seven and a half years seven and a half so I went to two to five to seven and a half. Yeah. This must feel good. Yeah, I mean, I don't worry about it. Mm. Not at all. Um, but I don't know how long, you know, I've got left. But I just, just get on with it. Having a respected and qualified nutritionist as a wife is certainly the, well, if you like, the cornerman you would want in this fight. I was interested to find out how strict Debbie Ann's plan was. It was fairly rigid. You're looking at coming right away from the standard Western diet. And for Ian, who mainly had bread meat wouldn't eat vegetables apart from peas frozen peas and sweet corn it was it was hugely removed but if you're following a healthy diet generally they're not too bad but we needed to switch him on to oily fish organic vegetables um, so that because what you're looking to do is to rehydrate the body and reduce the body's toxic load so you're also looking to detoxify and having now just had an operation there were extra toxins that we needed to make sure we got out can you be a bit more specific on um why why taking sugar away from this diet was was so important so cancer cells are hugely proliferative they need a lot of energy because they um, they split and divide at a very high rate to be able to do that they need huge amounts of energy so you're body's biggest source of energy is glucose you get a direct source of glucose from sugar so then what you're effectively doing is feeding the cancer cells the the fuel that they need in order to be able to carry on growing this tumor so for people that that i've heard this said a few times of late i've I've cut sugar because i want to cut the chances of of um, of cancer yeah i think it's starting to become very well known there's a lot of evidence to show that high sugar diets um can feed feed cancer and now with the rates being one in two i can remember doing a business meeting in 2011 and i asked everybody to look at the person to their left and the person to their right because on the 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 day before um 
Cancer Research UK had announced that the figures had now gone from one in four to one in three. That was only in 2011. And now last year, they've announced that it's one in two. And at that rate, it's only going to be another few years before every single person is going to get cancer unless we look at how we can personally take responsibility for our health and well-being and cutting out sugar it's in like as Ian said it's in everything any of the meats cooked meats in the supermarket have got sugar added so you'll pick up the the, I mean I'm an avid label reader I read everything so you pick up the um, cooked meat in the supermarket and it'll say for example chicken water sugar every single one of them so we're being fed this sugar constantly without the amount that we consume in them puddings desserts chocolate sweets treats um yeah it's it's a massive area and i think it's an area that people they are starting to become educated but don't understand the reasons for it so how can you shop and uh, you said you're an avid label reader it sounds to me like you it's very difficult to find anything without sugar in it it is so eating fresh it's going back to that grow your own um if you can't grow your own get a, a an organic veg delivery or just buy organic um, foods in the shops um, it's it's watching your portion sizes if you're eating fewer lower portions then you can you don't have to worry about the cost the extra cost of organic which incidentally often isn't more expensive anyway especially if you're eating seasonally what about meats i mean chicken's got sugar in it I've, i didn't know this i've just found this out from ian so that's a that's a new one one on me it sounds like you almost have to have a plant-based diet Yes, I mean, yes, pretty much. Or make friends with a good butcher who can tell you. We had a butcher in the village where we lived before and he ran the butcher's shop and his family owned the farm where he bought the meat from. So he could kind of tell you what the name of that animal was that you were about to eat. So he could tell you the process. And that's what we need. We need to... Our food is personal because we eat it and it becomes part of us. It gets assimilated and absorbed and becomes part of our body so we should be much more personal than i've no idea what the ingredient is on this bar of chocolate um but it doesn't matter because i fancied a bar of chocolate it should be more personal than that and when you consider that sugar has been shown in many studies now to be as as addictive as crack cocaine and heroin why are we giving it to our children we're seven years on and do you think that that is to do as much with his nutrition as anything else? I do. I mean, we'll, we'll never be able to show. But he, the, his uh, tumour reoccurred three years ago. Um, so even then, he was doing really, really well. And they were saying that, weren't they, to you? That, that he was doing so well. Um, and they'd ask and say, oh, you know, what are you doing? But they weren't really interested in knowing what you were doing to be able to advise that because they can't advise that to their other patients, which is a shame. A lot of doctors do their course and then after their course, they don't have time to keep up up to date with the latest research. So they get their information from the pharmaceutical reps who bring in the research, but they're obviously going to bring in the research based on the drugs that they want to be promoting but it's interesting because Ian hasn't always stuck rigidly to the diet and any time that he hasn't stuck rigidly to it it's come back and he ended up he's ended up on chemotherapy Mm. 
but it's totally anecdotal because you could say oh well that's just the way he is it's his genetics and to, you know very possibly um but my advice to anybody would be it might be that it's just him and it's completely anecdotal but it's got to be worth a try the final word comes from ian in this story but there's a little further advice from debbie ann about nutrition and if we are what we eat as we started out by saying then it's advice worth heeding keep it simple stay hydrated plenty of filtered just a brita water filter filtered water don't drink out of the plastics um Plenty of vegetables. Lots what, sorry, why not out of the plastics? Because you've got um, bisphenol A and phthalates, which are um, estrogen, um, fake estrogens. Estrogen's a big driver of cancer in both men and women. So these are the soft bottles you pick up from, from stores? Yeah, any, any of the soft bottles that you pick up from the store, any um, processed food that's in soft packaging, just prick the top of the fork, prick the top of the film, put it in the microwave. As you warm that and then it goes cool again, every time it changes temperature, it leaches this into the food. But that would include things like rice. But it, when it's so easy, look at Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver, you cook to cook rice for four, you put your rice in a builder's mug into the saucepan, two um, builder's mugs full of boiling water, cook it on a, a medium heat for 20 minutes and you've got perfect rice lots of vegetables make your diets plant-based as organic as you can and as you can afford um, to do it making sure that you're having oily fish the government recommended for fish is twice a week um, one should be oily but i would suggest having it to oily fish two or three times a so week a pescatarian kind of approach yeah yeah if you eat meat have some meat but make sure it's really good quality. You want your grass-fed, um, which is also better from a, 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 an animal point of view, where the animal is looked after really well, roams in the field, eats natural grass, which is what it's supposed to eat. Um, yeah, much, much better for you. Cut out the sugar, cut out you know the, the junk, or have it occasionally. 80-20. Dairy? Dairy... Um, yeah, I mean, most people think they need dairy for calcium, but actually dairy creates an acidic environment in the body. When the body is running an acidic environment, what it does is leaches calcium from the bones to, to, to moderate that. So actually, it, it's not that the calcium argument doesn't stand up at all. Um, but dairy... Yeah, it's it, it's it's an odd one, dairy. When you consider that we're the only animals in the animal kingdom as humans that consume the milk of another animal none of the other animals do it you know that milk that we're having from the sheep the cow the goat is supposed is intended for their baby it's not intended for us okay, this would go with cheese as well then wouldn't it yeah absolutely yeah. but it's, it's in moderation have things in moderation i'm going to ask you the same question actually in seven years on do you, have you put your faith in this being the result really of, of nutrition and because it does it does sound like it to me particularly when you've fallen off the the wagon from time to time and found that some of these problems have returned yeah I definitely put it down to nutrition I think if I hadn't followed this diet well it's not a diet it's a way of life really I'd probably be dead now Incredible story from Ian and Debbie Ann Rigglesworth. If you've been in any way moved or want to learn more about Ian's diet, then contact details are in the show notes and also at fitas.uk.
So, Chris, we need a topic for next week. I usually give you a choice at the end of each show. So these are your choices. Perfect time of day for workout. Um, how long does it take to lose two stone? Uh, monthly, I'm going to give you four choices. Monthly hormone ch- uh, changes um, or differences in nutrition for autoimmune. Oh, there's some highbrow topics in there as well yeah what was the second one there down second one was um how long does it take to lose two stone let's start with that one really yeah okay yeah so next week on the show how long does it take to lose two stone get your questions in studio at fithouse.uk and please make sure you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to achieve because that really does help Mm -hmm. when chris is answering these questions have a great week chris cheers studio at fithouse.uk